Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Where we're going tonight is Ephesians chapter 5. Very safe and very good for us to hear. So if you could open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you wouldn't mind, just one more time, as we read God's Word, if you're physically able, would you stand with me as we just give God's Word respect and attention tonight? Ephesians chapter 5, find your way to verse 17. And in verse 17, Paul the Apostle says this. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, as we just take time out of our week, I I just love being able to do midweek services because there are churches, of course, all over this country, they don't do this anymore. They don't gather in the middle of the week to open up your word and learn from you. And so I'm thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful for those that are like it, that get together and are still committed to be people, to be men and women of the book, to be men and women of your word. And so I pray, God, that that is what would happen tonight, that your word would infiltrate our hearts, you would adjust our priorities, you would adjust our focus, and God, you would make us more like you tonight. We do pray for Pastor Jeff and Connie, just bless them as they have some days off, just refresh them and bind them together, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. You know, I understand that you are a well-taught congregation, and one of the reasons you go to a church just like this is you love studying through the Word of God. And, and, and one of the things I love personally about studying through the Word of God is you, you end with one passage, and it's pretty simple what you're going to do the next week. I don't spend weeks trying to figure out what I'm preaching on next Sunday or next Wednesday. It's usually the next passage, right? So it makes it real easy. And, and we love to go to churches like this, and then some guest speaker shows up. And he just drops you in the middle of the Bible, somewhere detached from where you've been learning for weeks and weeks for this. And you think, what is going on? What's the context of this passage? So let's start there. Since I dropped you here in the middle of the book of Ephesians, what is Paul writing? Why is he writing? What is his purpose for communicating these things to us? Well, most of you know that Paul, the apostle, is the author of the book of Ephesians. He wrote Ephesians at the very kind of end of his ministry life while he was under house arrest in Rome. 
Paul was going to have his case. You remember he was arrested in Israel. He spent three years in prison in Israel toward the end of the book of Acts. And then he finds out that his case is going nowhere with the different Roman governors that are over Israel at that time. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. And the Romans send him on an all-expense-paid trip to Rome, but not like Paul ever thought he was going to go there. He went as a prisoner, and you've read the story. It's in Acts chapter 27 and Acts chapter 28. It's not the best journey. He he, he and the, the boat get lost at sea for some time. He ends up shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and eventually, eventually, by God's grace, he gets to the city of Rome. And while he's at Rome, though, then he has to wait to have his case heard before Caesar Nero. And some Bible scholars think he waited up to seven years to have his case heard. It might not have been that long, but it was a chunk of time waiting for Caesar to hear his case. But just like you would imagine, Paul the Apostle did not waste that time. Chained to a Roman soldier, he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are known as prison epistles, and they're called prison epistles because they were written while Paul was in prison there in the city of Rome. And he's writing here in Ephesians to a church he spent more time at than anywhere else in his ministry career. Paul spent a year and a half at Corinth, but outside of that, he would usually spend a few weeks, maybe a few months, raising up leaders, teaching the word, seeing people get saved. But at Corinth, he spent a year and a half, and at Ephesus, he spent three years, three years teaching the word for five hours a day, the book of Acts tells us. He he spent time planting churches, the seven churches of Revelation, plus the church of Heropolis, the church of Colossae, all written during Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. He wrote First and Second Corinthians and Galatians while he was in that city. He spent three years to, to this church that he spent more time than any other congregation with he writes this letter to the Ephesians. And here in chapter 5, like I know you know, this is the chapter that he tells us how to live out our roles that God gives us in a family, right? It's where he gives his rule to the wife, his rule to the husband, his rule to single people, to children, to parents, to employees and employers, whatever relationship we happen to be in, God has a word for us at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. But what I want to draw your attention tonight is before Paul ever tells husbands to love their wife like Christ loves the church, before he ever tells a wife to submit or respect her husband, before he ever says to children, obey your parents, before he ever says to, to fathers, raise your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Raise them up. Don't provoke them to wrath. Before he ever says that, Way back here in chapter 5, verse 17, he says, I don't want you to be unwise. This church he loves, this church he cares about. He says, I don't want you to be unwise. I want you, verse 17, to understand what the will of God is. Every one of us want to know, God, what do you want in my life? What do you want to do with my life? Paul says, I want you to know the will of God. And what is it? Well, verse 18 He says, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Before Paul ever tells husbands how to be, wives how to be, children how to be, parents how to be, employees, employers how to be, he says, before you can do any of that, you must be filled with the Spirit. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You cannot be the Christian God is calling you to be in the power of your flesh. Amen, church? You can't do the things God is asking us to do that we all know is so good for every one of us. We can't do those things until we are men and women filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to start with that. And friends, tonight, I want to focus in on this phrase, be filled with the Spirit. Because that little phrase there, be filled with the Spirit, it's, it's literally pregnant with information. There's so much in that one little phrase. In fact, I will put this up on the screen so you can see it. Be filled is a plural Greek verb in the present passive imperative tense. Now, I know some of you are saying, come on, man, it's Wednesday night or Thursday night. I worked all day already. Our our service is on Wednesday night, so I'm going to make that mistake a few times tonight. (laughs) The reality is, man, I worked all day. I didn't come here tonight for school. Like, that sounds like school to me. In fact, it sounds worse than that. It sounds like Greek school, and I don't speak Greek. So here's why it's important for you to wake yourself up a little bit and understand this, because this understanding of how this phrase is in the Greek helps you understand what Paul is trying to communicate that you and I desperately need to understand. What he is saying there, number one, is this phrase, be filled, is imperative. And you know what that means? It means it's a command. This is not Paul saying, hey, I got a good suggestion for you. If you think you're having trouble being a husband, you're having trouble being a wife, maybe, whatever you want to do, you just go ahead and be filled with the Spirit. It is not a suggestion. It is an absolute command. Have you ever been commanded by someone? We've kind of lost that in our culture a little bit. But maybe in your mind, you can recall when you were commanded to do something and you knew it was not an option. Back when I was a high school pastor years and years and years ago at Calvary Chapel Vista in North County, San Diego, I had the privilege, I was a high school pastor, but I also got to be the assistant football coach. There was a school attached to our church, and we had a small eight-man football team, and and I, I got to be the assistant coach, which meant I got to blow the whistle when the play was over. That's what the coach let me do. The coach was my assistant. He was my assistant pastor, so he technically worked for me, but on the football field, it was clear, I worked for him. Well, this one day, I was sitting down discipling this kid. And if you've, you've ever worked with youth, you know that some kids, when you're discipling them, you're trying to encourage them in the Lord, it's like beating your head against the wall. Some kids, some kids get it right away, and you're so blessed by what they're getting. But some kids, you ask them, like, what did you read this week? Oh, I'm going to reread my Bible, Pastor. I read Psalm 1. I'm like, that's great, that's great. And then you meet a week later, so where are you? I'm still in Psalm 1. Okay, okay, okay. And then next week, where are you? I'm still in Psalm 1. It's eight verses. Get out of Psalm 1. Like, come on. Like, like that's the frustration we have as pastors, as disciplers. Well, this kid was one of those kids. And yet this day, he was getting it. Like God was speaking to him through the word. God was ministering to things in his heart. I was loving it as a high school pastor. Literally years of work paying off. We absolutely lost track of time. 
And he looked at his watch and lost his mind. I'm going to be late for football practice. We got to go right now. And, he, and, he, and he's, he's panicking. And I, I'm telling him, hey, 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 it's okay. You're with me. You're not at a girl's house. You're not playing video games at home. You're with your youth pastor. We're going through the word. I'll apologize for you. It'll be just fine. No, it won't. Yes, it will. It'll be great. So we get in the car. We head to the field. He's putting his helmet on, getting the, just putting the jersey right over his clothes. Like, he just is ready to go. And when we pulled into the practice field, all of a sudden I realized he was right. We were not okay. The head coach comes running out to my car, hands on the hood. He's screaming at this kid, how dare you disrespect your teammates? How dare you think your time is more valuable than their time? You, you're going to disrespect your teammates like that? You're going to run all practice. And he took this kid and tossed him toward the field. Run all practice. So I get out of the car and I say, hey, youth pastor Phil, how you doing? Hey, man. Um, I just want to remind you, like, like he was with me and we were going through the word and I get it. Team is important, but you know, we're, 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 we're five, six minutes late and, and he was with me. And all of a sudden coach McKay, Phil McKay looked at me and he said, you think I'm being unfair? I do now. I do right now. Right now. I do think you're being unfair. And he says, if you think I'm being unfair, then you run all practice. Now remember this guy works for me all hours of the week, other than we're on the football field. I want you to go run all practice. So you know what I did for the rest of practice? I ran. Because his Nordic eyes, just looking at me, here's what I knew. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a, you're looking a little fluffy, you need to run. That wasn't the idea. It was a command I needed to obey. And the reason I'm telling you this story tonight is not to waste your time, is to get you to understand the emphasis of the Greek text Paul is not angry, he's not yelling, he's not screaming, but he is also not suggesting. He's not saying, hey, buddy, this might be a good idea. He is saying, man, woman, Christian, if you want to be all that God wants you to be, you must, you must, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. This phrase is imperative, number one, meaning it is a command. Secondly, note... Secondly, this phrase, be filled, is plural, meaning it is a command that applies to everyone. You know, there's something in our human nature where we hear a study and we think, that was really good. My husband needs to hear this Bible study. <laughs> oh, you listen to the, to the radio and you think, man, that was a great word. My kids need to hear that study. And those things might be absolutely true. Your husband or wife probably did need to hear it. Your kids need to hear it. But guess what? So do you. You and I need to hear these things as well. So when we hear the phrase, be filled, it's not just an exhortation for pastors. It's not just an exhortation for missionaries or worship leaders. This is an exhortation for you, mom and dad. This is an exhortation for you, grandparents. This is an exhortation for you, single person here tonight. This is an exhortation for you. This is plural, meaning it is a command, not just for a select few. It is a command for every single one of us. Thirdly, 
Thirdly, we see here that be filled is passive. And what that means is you can't do this yourself. You can't just decide, okay, I want to be filled with the Spirit, so I'm going to go in a field, I'm going to contemplate my navel, and maybe everything will work out. That's not how it works. You can't fill yourself, but here's the good news. Jesus wants to fill you with his spirit. Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will, will, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give, notice, the Holy Spirit to him who asks? You see, the reality is, Jesus says, I know you need the Holy Spirit. And just like you as parents, if your kids came to you and said, I'd like some bread, Dad. If my son asked me for some bread, I'm not going to give him a rock to chew on. I paid way too much for their teeth to be straight. I I don't want them to chew on a rock and mess up the huge financial commitment I've made to my children and for them to have straight teeth. If my kid wants an egg, I'm not going to give him a snake. Again, I just don't want to pay for the medical bills. Like, like, and and Jesus kind of knows it. He says, and you're an evil dad. (laughs) And you wouldn't do that. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? And I want you to see that because some of us, some of us, we come from a theological background. I know I was, I was raised at a Baptist school. And occasionally the teachers there would say, you know, the Holy Spirit, that's not something you want to pray for. That's not something you want to open yourself up to because you just don't know. You just don't know what might happen if you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. You never know. You might even get an unclean spirit. What? Listen to what Jesus said in light of the context of that. If you want, if your kids want bread, you give them bread. They want an egg, you give them an egg. What you don't give them is a scorpion. Because you're a father, you're a mother. And your heavenly father that's perfect, he says, I'm not going to give you something dangerous. I'm not going to give you something that will harm you. If you finally come to your senses and say, God, I can't do this husband thing. I can't do this wife thing. I can't do this employee thing. I can't do what you're calling me to do by myself. Jesus says, I've been waiting for you to come to me and ask me this. I want to fill you with my spirit. So you go to him and you ask. You go to him and he says, if you ask, you know, this verse gets, gets kind of misquoted on Christian TV all the time, doesn't it? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you shall find. I don't know why the prosperity people have to talk like that, but they do. They just do. But they read this and they're like, so ask for the Lamborghini. Ask for the million dollar mansion. That is not, that is not the context 
of this verse. Jesus says, I'll put it up there again. He says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks. Jesus knows you need his spirit. Jesus is waiting for you to come to him and say, God, I can't do this on my own. And he will, he will, he will fill you with his spirit. Because that's who he is. This phrase, be filled, it's, it's imperative meaning it's a command, it's plural, meaning it's a command for everyone, it's passive, meaning you can't do it yourself, but good news, Jesus wants to fill you with his spirit, so just ask him. And finally, this phrase, be filled, is in the present tense. And that means it's continual. It's something we are to continually do. We are to continually go to the Lord and say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? It is something we need to continue to do. Now, I realize that some of you say, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait, wait a second. I thought, I, I thought being taught by somebody sometime that when I receive the Lord as my Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my heart. Don't you believe that, Pastor? You bet I do. The Bible is really clear. When you and I receive the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. Look, look well, I'm not, we don't, I don't know where that quote went from Peter, but anyways, the idea is the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart right away. And he is absolutely there to stay. Yes, he is. So, so, if the minute I receive Jesus as my Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in my heart, yes, and he's there to stay, yes, then why would I need to continually ask to be filled with the Spirit? That's a great question, and it deserves a really good answer. And I'm sure you've heard this before, because I learned it from my first pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith. And Pastor Chuck Smith would teach often that there are three Greek prepositions that describe the three relationships the Holy Spirit wants to have with man. Maybe you've heard this before. The first two, you should, because I'm totally ripping him off. The first two come from this verse in John 14, 17, where Jesus says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. There's the first two relationships the Holy Spirit wants to have with mankind. He starts out being with you. It's the Greek word para. It means to come alongside. He's alongside, I believe, everybody in the world. Doing what? Convicting them of sin. Do you remember when you didn't know the Lord? Do you remember when you were not a Christian? Do you remember how there was this constant voice always telling you, I'm not okay? Oh, you put on your strong face. You hear people preaching the gospel to you at work and you're like, I don't need that religious crutch. You know, you would, you would say all that kind of stuff. I'm not a wimp like you. I don't need no Jesus to lean on. But as soon as that person would walk away and your heart was like, yes, you do. You're not okay. I can remember a time when I wasn't a Christian. 
And I remember having this attitude that I was just fine, didn't need no one or nothing. And I also remember laying my head on the pillow almost every night thinking, there is something wrong with me and I don't know what it is. There is something wrong in the core of who I am. You can call it your conscience. You can call it the little angel that sits on your shoulder. Let's be biblical. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saying, you are not okay. You need Jesus. And the minute you gave in to that conviction of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit went from being with you, from being para alongside you, to the second Greek word there, he came and became in you. In is the Greek word in, and it means in. (laughs) He, He is dwelling now in you, and he is there to stay. This is where that quote from Peter came. I knew it was in the notes somewhere. Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right there. You receive the Lord and the Holy Spirit now takes up residence in your heart and he is there to stay. Okay, great. I got it. I got it. You're passionate tonight, but, but here's the deal. Now that the Holy Spirit's there and there to stay, what, why, do, why do I need to continually be filled with the Spirit? Because there's one more preposition. It comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where again, Jesus is talking. I love to take Jesus' opinion on the Holy Spirit because they're kind of one and the same. Jesus says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, that's who he's talking to in Acts chapter 1. He tells them to wait, to tarry in Jerusalem until I endue you with power from on high. Now, now the reality is the disciples were already saved. They already had the Holy Spirit inside them. But Jesus says, before you're going to go out and do ministry, before you're going to represent me to a lost and dying world, the Holy Spirit needs to come upon you. And it's this third preposition that is the, in English, upon. In Greek, it is a P, and it has this idea of the Holy Spirit overflowing you. It's almost like if you can picture, if you can picture a pitcher of water up here on the stage and an empty cup. And you get this pitcher of water and this empty cup and, and, and right there, the, the water is with, it's alongside, it's para, the empty cup. And the cup's like, I'm not okay. You're right, you're not okay. And it receives the Lord. And then the water goes into the cup. Now it's in the cup. But if I keep pouring, eventually that water overflows that cup, gets water all over the stage, which is why I didn't do this in reality tonight. But you can picture it in your mind. The Holy Spirit who is in you wants to overflow you. Why? That your life could now touch others affect others, minister to others, so you can be the husband God is calling you to be, so you can be the wife God is calling you to be, so you can be the single person God is calling you to be, so you can be the boss or the employee God is calling you to be. We live in this world with so many temptations pulling us here and pulling us there. We need to walk in the overflowing presence of God's Holy Spirit. 
We just do. Now, this idea to be filled, it isn't just to overflow. It also has this idea of the Holy Spirit controlling you, actually turning you into a different person. It's why Paul links being filled with the Holy Spirit with being drunk with wine back there in Ephesians 5.18. When I first read Ephesians as a brand new Christian, I just thought Paul was like the typical pastor. He looks at the clock in the back. He realizes he only has a few more minutes. So he's got to summarize his last few points. And he's like, what do I want to tell these people? Okay, don't get drunk and be filled with the Spirit. Amen, let's go get a donut. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here at all. He's linking the two because the two are linked in concept. Just like all of us know. Because all of us, either ourselves, or we know someone in our close family probably, where drugs and alcohol have turned them into a different person. A person they never wanted to be, a person we never wanted them to be. Most of us have had a front row seat watching drugs and alcohol destroy people's lives. Some of us had a front row seat watching them destroy our own lives. They transformed us into a different person. Well, on the flip side of that, in in a much better context... The Holy Spirit has the ability to turn you into a different man, into a different woman, not destroying your life like alcohol and drugs can do, but turning your life into something that is beneficial for you, your family, your kids, your church, your community, and your sphere of influence. The Holy Spirit has been transforming people forever. That's what this idea of being filled really means. We know that because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. And when he's preaching in a synagogue, like he always did, he talked about the fact that he was the Messiah. And most of the Jews, as they would listen to him preach, it would go in one ear and out the other, right? They wouldn't listen to him. But in Luke chapter 4, you can read it tonight later, he adds to his sermon that not only is he the Messiah of the Jews, but Jesus says, I'm also the Gentiles' Messiah too. And if you know anything about the Jewish mindset in the first century, that was the wrong thing to say. That was the wrong thing to say. That was like showing up at the Republican convention and saying you hate Trump. It's like the wrong thing to say. Jesus got there and he says, I, I, I'm the Gentiles Messiah as well. And it says there in Luke 4, listen to me, church family. It says that the people were filled with wrath. The same word that's being used here in Ephesians 5, filled with wrath. And it says that what the next thing they did is they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff once synagogue was over. Now, listen, you and I have this issue. We read our Bibles with our latte in our hand and our Danish, and we're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. That's not appropriate after-church behavior. Can we agree on that? I mean, we're a group of human beings. 
I say things in my church. I know, I, I'm sure that as wonderful as Pastor Jeff is, he says things and you go, I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay. That's called human nature. And when we kind of go, hopefully we're mature enough to go, hey, let's agree to disagree. We're all friends and love Jesus. We're all going to the same place. Amen? Some churches can't handle that, but you guys can, right? We're all going to the same place. So, okay, we get it. We get it. And we agree to disagree. None of you, none of you have said, I cannot believe he taught that. Let's throw him on I-405 freeway after the service and let him get run over by a big rig. That's totally inappropriate (laughs) behavior from Christians after service. Amen? Amen. If you don't agree, please see a security guard after after the service is over because you've got some issues. But the reality is, we all agree on this. That's not appropriate behavior. Well, yes, I know it wasn't church, it was synagogue. I know they were Christian, they were Jews. It was still inappropriate to kill someone after a religious service. But wrath had turned them into different people. Because they were filled with it, it turned them into different people. So too, again, the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to say, God, fill me with your spirit, the Holy Spirit has the ability to turn you into a different man or a different woman that you desperately need to be. Friends, the Holy Spirit has been doing that since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. You know, we as Christians, we, we love to kind of hold up the, the idea of, of the holy apostles, right? And they were. They were tremendous men who set the foundation for the church, obviously, after Jesus Christ. Amazing men of God. But not always, right? And not early on. There's some stories in the Gospels about them that's rather embarrassing. Do you know that one in Luke chapter 9 where they're going to the city of Samaria and they're preaching and sharing with the Samaritans and James and the Samaritans reject the message of Jesus. They reject the message of the disciples. So do you remember what James and John did after the Samaritans rejected them? They walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, um, could we call fire down from heaven and consume these people? Again, we read our Bibles with our latte in our hand and our Danish, and we think, oh, they wanted to set people on fire. That's nice. That is not appropriate Christian behavior. That is not what you're supposed to do. You're sharing with somebody at work. They say, forget you and your gospel. You don't then go get gasoline and deal with the problem. That's not appropriate Christian behavior. In fact, in fact, in fact, If you want to set people on fire, it's an indication you may have an anger problem, right? You you may have a little bit of an anger problem if you've ever wanted to set somebody on fire. So I think it's safe to say, James and John, a little bit of an anger problem. Well, I want you to see that because, because John is going to be the longest living apostle. He's going to write the gospel of John, and he's going to write this book called 1 John. Well, when you read 1 John, it's only five chapters. You get the point right away. The whole thing is about love. Love your brethren. Love your sisterin. Love the church. Love God. It's like, we get it, John. By the end of the book, we get it. We totally get it. John became known in church history as the apostle of love. 
In fact, church history tells us that as the last living apostle, he would travel around to churches and speak. Can you imagine how cool that would be? Like, not guest speaker Pastor Jason Duff. No, no, guest speaker John the Disciple. Like, literally walked and taught with Jesus. Like, believe me, I would step aside and let him come and share if he was available. He would go around to churches, and you can imagine, people would walk for miles to come hear John share when he was in his 80s and his 90s. And he'd get up behind the pulpit, and he'd say this this one-sentence sermon. Some of you are like, pastors can preach one-sentence sermons? Not this pastor, but this guy could. And he would say, my little children love one another. And then he'd just sit down. It's one sentence. Granted, he was 90, but it was one sentence. Now, now the people, the people who had walked days in that time frame, days to come here and preach, they were obviously not happy with the one-sentence sermon. And they would say to him, recorded for us in church history, John, give us more. Give us, give us the meat, they would say. What was it like to walk with Jesus? What was it like to, to hear his heart? John, we want to hear the meat. And John would back up to the pulpit, and he would say, my little children, this is the meat. Love one another. And he'd sit back down. So I want you to think this through. How does the apostle of love, with a one-sentence sermon, love one another? How did he used to be the guy that wanted to set unbelievers on fire? How do you go from being the guy that is so angry you are willing to set people on fire and kill them to the apostle of love? There is only one thing that can change a man that greatly. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the day of Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit in John's life. And it wasn't just John. You know Peter, right? Peter, the night before Jesus is crucified, he's warming himself at the fire, and a little girl comes up to him. Aren't aren't you a disciple? No. What are you talking about? Oh. She comes right back. Um, yep, I think you are. I think you're a disciple. Oh, no, I never knew the man. No, I saw you with Jesus. You are a disciple. And John loses his mind because a little girl is accusing him of being a disciple. Yet, same guy, 50 days later, will stand up at the Feast of Pentecost, not in front of a group of little girls, but a group of men with swords and clubs, and he will look right at them and say, Jesus, whom you crucified, has become both Lord and Christ, and you need to give your life to them and and get baptized today. And 3,000 absolutely did. And I look at Acts chapter 2, and I think, where did that boldness come from? 
How is the same guy less than two months previous going, I don't even know him. I've never met the man. Oh, get away from me, little girl. How does that guy go from like, you need to get saved today. And people are like, yes, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And they give their life to the Lord. Where does that boldness come from a man that was so cowardly and timid? There's only one place. It comes from the life-changing power of God's Holy Spirit. It came, it came from the day of Pentecost. Because remember, remember, I'm almost done. But remember, when the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were already saved. How do you know that? I know that because of this. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus has his disciples, and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's more to it. He breathes on them, a very non-COVID time of year to say that, but he, he breathes on them without a mask, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, church, what do you think happens when Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Anyone tonight? I think you receive the Holy Spirit, right? I, you know, we, we never know what happens. The pastors put our hands on. I don't know. But when Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is now in you. So, so that happens. Here's another key. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is after John 20. So these disciples already have the Holy Spirit in John 20. Yet, in Acts chapter 2, these men who were hotheads, these men who were cowards, these men were gathered in the upper room there in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them to wait until he endued them with power from on high. And as they sat there in the upper room, worshiping the Lord, drawing near to the Lord, the Holy Spirit descended upon that room and turned John and Peter and James and Bartholomew and all of them, turned all of them into different men. And yes, there were women there too, different women as well. And those 120 people changed the world for Jesus Christ. And the reason, the reason you and I need to hear this tonight, the reason it is so important for us to get this, is if you're anything like me, you need to become a different man or different woman. You, you look in your own heart and you think, man, I've got some issues. Maybe you're a hothead. Oh, no, I come to church on a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, I pastor a church on a Wednesday night, and I know I've got issues. People pull me over. Not pull me over. They do that too, actually. But <laughs> people cut me off is what I meant to say. And, and I just think, oh, Jesus, can I call fire down from heaven and burn this? I get the thought pops into my head. I'm the pastor of the church, and those things pop into my head. I know they pop into your heads. Maybe, maybe you're a little hot under the collar. Maybe your kids drive you up the wall a little time every once in a while. Maybe your spouse does. Don't admit it, don't admit it, don't look at them, don't look at them. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. Maybe, maybe as a Christian you still struggle with addiction. I promise you you're not the only one. 
Satan is so smart at getting his claws in us, even after we know the Lord is our God and Savior. Maybe, maybe you're in bondage to lust and pornography. Listen, all I know is this room is filled with human beings, which means this room is filled with sinners who are in desperate need of Jesus. Even sinners on their way to heaven, sinners in desperate need of Jesus. And the reality is, the reality is, there's not just a class we can go to or a, or, or a pill we can take that can deal with those issues in their heart, in our hearts. But the Holy Spirit has been turning people into different men and different women since the very moment the church came into existence. And what I'm saying to you tonight is if you're a regular human being like me and you think, I got issues and I got problems and I don't know how I'm ever going to change the world for Jesus Christ, I bet this room is very similar to that upper room there on that day of Pentecost. In fact, there's more of us here tonight than were there on the day of Pentecost. This room, listen to me, church, this room has the ability to change the world. This room, this room filled with people like you and like me, with our struggles, with our issues, with our, with our, with our, with our, our, our shortcomings and fallings, this room has the potential to not just change Southern California. This room has the potential to change the world. But we can't do it just because we're determined. We can't do it just because we have the best of intentions. We must get on our faces and say, God, without you, it is hopeless. But with you, all things are possible. Without you, Jesus, I'm going to keep struggling my entire life with this double life, with this hot, this hot head personality, with this struggle with, with lust or addiction or whatever it is. But God, your spirit has the ability to turn me into a different man or a different woman. And what I want to do tonight, I'm going to end a little early than the time I was allotted Whew, get that out of a pastor. That's, that's bonus time right there. But what I want to do is I want us to spend a few minutes worshiping here tonight before we go our way. And I want us to take some time, you and Jesus, and of course, as you know, the pastors will be up front available as well. But I don't want us to hear a sermon tonight and just take some notes. I want a sermon to change our lives tonight. And, and, it, and it, it can't change our lives because, because I tell a joke. That, that, that's not going to do it. What changes our lives is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to do as the worship team comes back up is we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I want you, don't, don't run out of here. Like, oh, yes, church is done early. Come on, give us five, ten minutes. And I want you to do business with God. God knows what's going on in your heart. God knows the struggles that you're dealing with. And so I want you to bring those before the Lord and say, God, I need you to turn me into a different man. I need you to turn me into a different woman, if that's the case for you. I need you to show me how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a single person. There's so much temptation in this world. There's so many things vying for my attention. God, I've been passionate about things I I, I shouldn't be passionate about, but tonight, God, I want a brand new passion in my life. I want to be passionate for you, and I want you to fill me with your spirit. 
and turn me into a different man or a different woman. Amen? Now, after we're done worshiping, after we're done closing, as was said before, as you leave tonight, there's a table where, where I've had the privilege over the, over the years I've been a pastor to write a couple of books. The first one is called The Fundamentals of Walking with God. What is it? How do we walk with God? The first chapter is how do we get saved? I've used it as a track. Like, here, read chapter one. If you like it, the rest of the book's good. If you don't, you're not going to like past chapter one. But chapter one is how we get saved. Then, how are we filled with the Spirit? A lot of things we talked about tonight. How do I read my Bible and get something out of it? How do I fast? And why would I want to? Because I love food. Why, why do I, how do I evangelize? And so this is kind of a how-to book. And then the other one I have available for you tonight is called Groundwork. And it's really an apologetics book. The first couple chapters are why would a thinking person, and maybe this might be a, one for a, a friend of yours, why would a thinking person actually believe there's a God? Not even talk about the God of the Bible yet. Why would a thinking person believe in God? And then once you get through that, what's, what's a reliable source to learn about that God? And of course, we believe it's the Bible. So why is the Bible a reliable source to learn about God? And once this establishes that God is real and the Bible is the best source to learn about him, then it tells us what the Bible tells us about this God. So those are back there in the back. Uh, they're $10 a book. And every single dollar of these books goes to feed hungry children. Of course, they're my own hungry children. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. It's not... Don't, you haven't heard the punchline yet. It's my own hungry children. So anyways, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. And then we're going to worship, Okay. Father, now that we've got the commercial out of the way, Father, we just want to get right back to where we were. God, all of us have issues. All of us have things that we're not proud of in our life. And yet all of us have your spirit dwelling inside us as believers. Yet God, tonight we come before you as we sing this song, as we spend some time, maybe even getting prayer from some of the pastors here tonight. God, we want you to fill us with your spirit that we might become different men and different women. Those of us that have a struggle with, with anger, like James and John, would you turn us into disciples of love like you did with them? God, for those of us that might be just kind of afraid to share our faith like Peter was, God, would you turn us into men and women of courage by your Spirit, God? For those of us struggling with addiction, God, by your Spirit, would you set us free tonight? God, would you do the work that you want to do? as we just yield our lives to you and admit what is, what is so obvious to each of us, we are in desperate need of your spirit, God. So fill this room like you did on the day of Pentecost. Fill this room with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.